0: him a breather in his series on if Uh, so I'm just gonna pray and we're gonna prepare our hearts to, to hear from the Lord so father God we just come before you and we thank you God that you can deliver by many or by few and Lord we just offer up this time to you Lord I pray Holy Spirit that you'd have your way that you would fill in the gaps and that you would speak clearly through me Lord God I know that you've given me something that's gonna help people Lord I pray that it would come across very clearly and that you'd impart grace to everyone under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, today I want to talk to you about taking good care of your heart. Um, And obviously, um, I'm not referring, so to speak, to the natural heart that, you know, pumps the blood, so to speak. But in a very real way, if you think about it, you know, the way it, it works in the natural is you take care of your heart, and then your heart takes care of you. So you you, you, you know, eat the good food, you get the right rest, you, you know, you don't get stressed out, you do all the, on all the fancy things the doctors say, and if you take good care of your heart, then your heart will just keep working and doing what it's supposed to be doing, and that will bring great benefit to your life many, many years down the road. In the same way, we have what the Bible talks about, a heart, which is more of a spiritual sense. And if we will take care of our heart, then our heart will take care of us. And in the same way that in the natural, a lot of times the way we treat our body or the way we treat our heart doesn't show up till decades later. Does that make sense? Sometimes the way we treat our spiritual heart doesn't always reveal what we're doing to it. A decade or two later, we might realize That we did something wrong, that we did something to our heart that kind of jacked us up. And so I want to talk to you today about this idea of taking care of our heart and to to kind of help give us an idea of what I'm talking about. When the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about your intellect. It's talking about how you can actually think in your heart. So it's also talking about uh, your will and how you have the ability to make choices. And then finally, It refers to our emotions. So when we talk about heart today, and when we talk in a biblical sense, it's the mind, it's the will, and the emotions. Now I want to just kind of break down the emotions just a little bit more detailed, because the emotions in the biblical context, the emotions can be broken down into our discernment, but it also can be broken down into our affections. So discernment, and affections. That may not mean much to you now, but hopefully a lot of things will will make sense as we move along here today. But the thing is, is that when you look throughout all of the scriptures, there's this idea that a healthy heart produces healthy fruit. An unhealthy heart produces bad fruit. And so you see this both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And so you can see how as have you ever been in a situation where you were around somebody and they were making poor choices and poor decisions and it was utterly obvious to you that they were making unhealthy choices because their heart was in an unhealthy place? Or maybe you're like me, where you you yourself were the one. You know, you were hurting, you were jaded, you were discouraged. You were without hope. And out of that place of fear or lack of hope or you name it, out of those places, you made a poor choice. And you said, you know what? Looking back on my life, I would have never have made those choices if I was in a healthy place. And so I want to talk to you today about taking care of your heart and how this kind of affects us in our decision making and that, that sort of thing. But I want to, I want to start... ...by looking at Proverbs chapter 4. Now, the book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon. King Solomon was David's son. And King Solomon, you know, outside of Jesus, was the wisest man who ever lived. And he wrote what's called the Proverbs, which is a lot of wise sayings... ...telling people how to thrive in life. How to just go through your life relationally, in the workplace in your family, in your health, and he gives so many wise sayings for how you can do well in life. But in Proverbs chapter 4, he he has kind of, I think, one of his keynote Proverbs. There's a a handful of them in there that are like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is the centerpiece. This is so important. This is more important than others. But in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, Solomon says, uh, referring more to wisdom, my son... Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. This is a little side note, but I want you to see here, health to flesh can be connected to emotional well-being. It's a little side note. A lot of times our physical ailments are directly connected to our spiritual or our emotional ailments. But then he goes further and he kind of brings it all home to this big idea in verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Now, that... I don't think that translation fully does it justice, so I want to go through a couple more translations. It'll be on the screen. The New Living Translation says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Above all else, guard your heart. Why? It will determine where you go. It will determine who you become. Jesus said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is on the inside of us comes out of us. And so he's saying so, therefore, we have to guard, protect our heart because there are external things that our heart is exposed to. And as our heart is exposed to these things, it begins to influence our heart. It kind of goes like the saying, we make our decisions, and then our decisions make us. We go, and we, when we make a choice, when we make a decision, whether it's to obey God or not to obey God, every time we do that, we are recalibrating our soul, our heart. And so it's very important that we can't just let anything into our soul. Jesus said it like this, and I, you can take that down for a moment, Sherry. We'll read, the next, we'll read the next translation in a moment, but just take that down. In Matthew chapter 6, I believe verse 22, Jesus refers to how the heart, it's not the heart, You he didn't say heart actually, he said the lamp. No, he didn't, You didn't say that either. He said the the eye. It's coming back to me, it's coming back to me. I, I took NyQuil last night, this is going to be really good. <laughs> okay. Help me, Lord. All right, the eye, the eye is a lamp for the body. Notice he didn't say the eyes. He didn't say plural because he wasn't talking about these. When he talks about the eye in singular form, he's saying your heart, the eye, your heart is the eye. And whatever your eye looks at, it will determine how much light is inside of you. So, so coming back then to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, I want to look at the Passion Translation because I, I think they kind of nailed it. So here we go. So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, for from there flows the wellspring of life. I, I think the, the, right, the, the translator there got it right. That is so true. Guard your affections where your love goes, where your time goes, where your eye goes. You cannot have more than one master. We cannot have more than one Lord. So when we fix our gaze on anything that's not Jesus, it will affect our heart. And the way our heart is affected will determine our will, our emotions, and our thought life. So our thought life will follow suit with how healthy our soul is. Our emotional state will follow suit according to how healthy our heart is. And so it's very important that we don't just let anyone get our heart. You know, when we talk about relationships, you know, a lot of us in the room are older, but to people who are younger out there, listen, don't just give your emotions, your heart to just anybody. It's not just about, hey, don't have sex before marriage. It's like, hey, don't give a piece of who you are away. And I just want to say this because some people don't get this, but you can't have sex without giving a piece of your heart away. So I'm just saying, it's not just a physical thing. It's a very spiritual thing, actually. David said in in Psalm 51, verse 10, he said, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right or steadfast spirit within me. David understood because what happened was is he had committed adultery and then orchestrated the murder of his friend to, to cover up his adultery. David understood, hey, my soul is out of whack. My heart is wrong. And so he's like, God, I need a new one. I need a new one. And what's even more interesting is in the New Testament, and this is in uh, Mark chapter 7. Let's just go there really quick. Mark chapter 7. I know I have a lot of scripture for you today, but it's, to, it's so you know I'm right. I'm not. That's the whole point, is proving to you that I know what I'm talking about, and you, you have to do it. All right, Mark chapter 7. This is what Jesus said. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, fornication is sex outside of marriage, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and defile a man. How about your picker-upper? So Jesus is very clear that, that the human heart, before it comes to Jesus, is corrupt. It is broken and it is wrong. And so if a person has not given their life to Jesus, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because if you have not given your life to Jesus, you know that only bad things come out of you. I mean, not that it's all, I mean, you know, you love people and you care about people, but then there's something inside of you erupts out of you, and it messes with you. And it makes you do things that you don't want to do, and it become a person that you don't want to be. That's what we call sin. Sin is the thing that humans are born with because of Adam and Eve's submission to the devil. And so we are of the bloodline of Adam and Eve. And so because our forefathers, so to speak, submitted to the devil, we have become slaves of sin. We have been born into bondage. And out of our own soul comes wickedness. Out of our own soul, our own heart, comes sin. And so that's why we have David crying out, God, I need a new heart. And throughout the whole Old Testament, there's this promise That someday God's gonna give us a brand new heart. And so when Jesus comes onto the scene, He's really popular, especially with the religious people, because he comes to them and says, Guys, you're not good. You're sinners. No, 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 we fast twice a week. No, no, you're you're really bad guys. And you need to realize you need a savior. And so, because we, at least hopefully, everyone in this room, or almost everyone in this room, you have, you have given your life over to Jesus, and when Jesus came in and lived inside of you, he gave you his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit comes, lives inside of you, and gives you a brand new heart. But just because you and I have brand new hearts doesn't mean we don't have to protect it. All right? So yes, your heart is good, but you and I both know that as a born-again, Bible-believing Christian, that the emotions and the situations that we interact with can affect our decision-making, our emotions, and our thinking. And so I want to look kind of, that that was all just the introduction. So, So now we're going to go into Kings, 1 Kings chapter 3. Now, this is in the Old Testament. We're looking here at King Solomon. We're going to look at him again. I talked about him about a month ago, and we're going to do it again. So, King Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3. And so, King Solomon has recently taken over the kingdom. And in verse 3, it says, And Solomon loved the Lord. I want you to see that. Solomon loved God. That's really important to know. He had a real heart for God. It says here, He loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. That's a really weird statement. He loved God, he followed God, just like his dad, except. Except what? He burned incense and he sacrificed at the high places. Well, what is that all about? Well, in their day, God said, listen, you can only do sacrifices at one place. Now, this is before Solomon built the temple, but the tabernacle was the location where they were supposed to make their sacrifices. They only could do it in one place. Now, the pagan culture around them, now they could do whatever they wanted. They could worship their gods in any way they wanted. And that's what our society tells us. Worship your God in whatever way you want. But our God says, no, no, you can't worship me just any way you want you have to worship in the right way that I teach you how to walk. And so Solomon, you know, everybody, every scholar has their opinions, but for the sake of me having the microphone, we're just gonna go with what I have to say. And that is, is that, so in their day, the people in all the society, they would sacrifice at high places because they believed that the higher you got in elevation, the closer you were to God. So in Butte, we would be really close to God because we're over a mile high. So so they would go up to high places and be like, I'm close to God now, and they'd offer up a sacrifice to oftentimes a pagan deity. And so uh, King Solomon went to a high place to worship God. So I want you to see here, he worships the right God in the right way at the wrong place. What difference does that make? Well, we're going to see that Solomon begins a steady downfall because there are some decisions that he makes that kind of snowball on him. All right, that's one verse. Okay, we've got a ways to go. So, now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Verse 5, at Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, And God said, ask, what shall I give you? Doesn't everybody wish that you could have God come up in a dream and be like, anything you want, you get one wish. And then Solomon, you know, it's interesting that God came in his sleep. You know, you wonder if God's like, I'm going to go while you're sleeping because he won't screw it up in your sleep, maybe. Verse 6, Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David. But I am a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Now, let me just stop there. I, when, I'm, when I dream, I am not that eloquent. You have like a full-on sentence there. Like me, I don't think I'm that brilliant in my dreams. But verse 9, Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? And I want you to, let's stay here for a moment. Give your servant an understanding heart. That word understanding is um, actually not what it says exactly. It's actually a hearing heart. That's what the literal word is. Hearing. So he says, God, I want a heart that hears. I want to hear your voice. When you speak, I want to hear you. When I hear you, It will allow me to judge your people to know the right path versus the wrong path. Who can judge these people? So I want to have a heart that hears your voice. A healthy heart hears God's voice. An unhealthy heart struggles with hearing God's voice. And I I want to be careful with that because there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. But I'm going to keep going and hopefully this will make sense. Verse 10. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, Because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor asked the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been Anyone like you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given you what you have not asked. See, this is where we're like, ooh, I want this. Both riches and honor, so that there shall not be any one like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your, day, your days. Verse 15, Then Solomon awoke, And indeed, it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, offered up burnt offerings, offered peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. So God interacts with Solomon in a dream, gives him an option. Solomon makes a really good choice, and God's impressed. What's interesting is Solomon woke up from his dream having an encounter with God, and he didn't discount it. I just want to encourage you, if you encounter God in your dreams, don't think you got a second-class experience with God. It's the real thing. God encounters people in dreams even today. So, so we see here, this, this hearing ear. we see that Solomon is blessed. He becomes so wise. Like I said, he writes the Proverbs Foreign kings and queens come and visit him. They ask him hard questions. He blows them away with, you know, his wealth, his wisdom, his ability to help them solve administrative issues and what to do about their army and what to do. You know, whatever, whatever kings deal with, I, don't, I wouldn't know. But, but he, he becomes world-renowned, and his kingdom is utterly amazing. He's got over a million-man army. They have advanced. They don't have any enemies because everybody's been taken out of the equation. And so I want to look here at kind of a little bit more of his downfall. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 10. I know I'm doing a lot of scripture. Are you guys doing okay? You staying awake? If you're not, just slap yourself. You'll, you'll be all right. <clears throat> all right. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26. Now, this... A little, I'll give you guys a moment to get there. I'm going to get a drink of water. But this is not going to look like a horrible thing, but it's, we're going to see that it's not God's will. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 26. And Solomon gathered chariots and horsemen. He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen, whom he stationed in the chariot cities, and the king at Jerusalem. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, and he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. Also, Solomon had horses imported from Egypt in Keva, however you say it. The king's merchants brought them at that place at the current price, Now, a chariot that was imported from Egypt cost 600 shekels of silver, and a horse 150. And thus, through their agents, they exported them to all the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Syria. So, what I want you to see here is Solomon started stockpiling horses, chariots, and silver, and we don't, not from this passage, but we know in gold. He became very well to do. But he also would buy horses and then he would sell horses at a profit. He'd buy them from Egypt and then he would go and sell it to other people north of him. So I want to look at now, you guys are like, you really are doing a lot of scripture. So Deuteronomy chapter 17, we're going to see why this was not a good thing. Deuteronomy chapter 17, we see here, this is what was a, a commandment that God gave Moses For the future kings. So, when you come to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and possess it, and dwell in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses, one from among your brethren. You shall set as king over you. You may not set a foreigner among you who is not your brother. Verse 16. But he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. For the Lord has said to you, You shall not return that way again, neither shall he multiply wives for himself. Now, I'm going to give you a heads up Solomon did that, did a lot. Multiply is the right word, it's not addition. (laughs) Neither shall he multiply wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book. So he's literally supposed to make his own handwritten Bible. That he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. So he is supposed to write his own Bible, and he is supposed to read his own Bible, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom he and his children in the midst of Israel. So what I want you to see here is number 1 Solomon was not supposed to multiply horses. He disobeyed God. The thing is is even though Solomon multiplied horses, it didn't really make much of a difference in his day-to-day life. God did not take away his wisdom. God did not take away his wealth. God did not take away the throne. He, he didn't take away, I mean, think, think about this. We judge sin based off of the consequence. This is, this is I'm, I'm about to bring together the big idea. So if you're asleep, now's the time to wake up. So, so we judge the bigger the consequence, the more important the sin. If you murder somebody and you go to prison, that's a big consequence, right? Wake up. A lot of times, we do small sins, and we call them small sins, and we call them no big deal. Why? Because the consequence doesn't show up. A lot of things that God does in our Christian walk you don't always see the consequence right away. It's very subtle. If you and I pray, and you, you know, we have this great prayer meeting, how do we know its impact? I mean, think about it. If we have a prayer meeting, and we're praying for our nation, and we're praying for, how do we know when our prayers were answered? Well, sometimes when we pray specific prayers, and we get specific answers, we can say our specific prayers worked. But a lot of times, we don't see the cause and the effect, and that is where we can get really thrown off of our game. Because a lot of times, people will commit sins, and they say, it's not hurting anybody. It's not causing any problems. I'm not hurting. Why would God, you know, why would a loving God have a problem? If two people love each other, they can do whatever they want as long as they're not hurting anybody else as long as it's not illegal to smoke, it, you know I'm not hurting anybody. See, the thing is, is when we start viewing our lives like Solomon did, where we start disobeying God and we disobey the voice, what did he pray? God, I wanna hear you, I wanna hear you. And God's like, I'm gonna give you the voice, I'm gonna give you a heart, I'm gonna give you an antenna that will allow you to hear my voice. So when I speak, you will be aware, you will be sensitive, and you will know what to do in the moment. Why? Not because you have wisdom, so to speak, but because you hear a voice and you've learned how to discern it. But listen, Solomon made a lot of mistakes, but he made little ones leading up to his bigger mistakes. Because what happens, well, yeah, I'll just go with it now. Sin dulls Our heart. Don't underestimate the little sins. Don't underestimate what gossip does to your own heart. Don't underestimate what a little bit of lust will do to your own heart. A lot of times we wait until we're addicted, and we're in bondage, and we're a slave, and it's ruining our marriage, or it's destroying our kids, or empty nesters, and we start to see, oh, I wish I could do it all over again. Because oftentimes, cause and effect doesn't show up for decades. And sometimes people live their whole lives not even realizing what they're stumbling over. Sometimes we walk in the dark, and we don't know why our life isn't working out for us. But it's little, little things that dull our conscience. It's little things that dull our ability to hear God's voice. It's not that God's not speaking. It's not that you don't have the right heart. It's that your heart is dull. And so I just want to encourage you today, if you get nothing else out of what I say, I believe this is the big idea the Lord wanted me to tell you about. I took a long time to break it down, maybe too long. But the big idea is there are people in this house watching online that you are not spiritually in a good place. You are not in rampant sin. You are not a horrible person, but you are dull. And the reason you are dull, I'm speaking prophetically, the reason you are dull is because you have not obeyed. You have allowed hidden things, small things. And I hope I'm not freaking you guys out like, oh no, I'm making you all hyper paranoid. But I believe that the Holy Spirit will confirm this to you. I'm not talking about being hyper-spiritual or weird religion. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit has been talking to you and you're not listening because it's small. Because it's not making that big of difference. And the Lord is saying, "It's, it's coming between you and the Father. Our relationship with the Father can be, it's like a drift. When we allow Little sins that maybe everybody else gets away with, but God says, not you. Where the Lord says, yeah, they might be watching that, they might talk that way, they may say that or be in those places, but not you. And you need to listen to the voice or you will become dull and it will cause a chain reaction because when we don't feel good with God, subconsciously we start to drift away from God. It's not God who leaves us, but it is us who drift away from God. What we set our affections on will become our Lord. What we, what we give our hearts to will become our master. And so we have to be guarded with what we allow our heart to look at, with what we allow our heart to focus on and to process through. Because what happens, we're gonna go back to Solomon's life we we'll go back to 1 Kings. I believe it's chapter 11. First Kings chapter 11, it says, But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. So remember, well, I don't need to remind you, it says it in the passage. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Who you marry matters. Who you marry matters. But, how do I say this? Notice Solomon made small sins before he got into the bigger sins, which kind of led to the bigger sins, which we'll get to in a moment. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives. That is not wisdom. That is not wisdom. Princesses and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the the heart of his father, David, for Solomon went after Ashtoreth, which we would know her more as Aphrodite, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, which some of you would know it more as a term uh, Moloch, who Moloch was known uh, Aphrodite, of course, was the goddess of sex and fertility, uh, Milcom was uh, they sacrificed their children to to this to this monster, Solomon did. Evil in the sight of the Lord, and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon. Because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. So you see here this progression. And finally, you know, history, um, as far as we can tell, it looks like Solomon's life did not end super great. And Solomon, when he died, God removed the kingdom from Solomon's son because of Solomon's sins. And Solomon's son was given one tribe to rule over out of 12. So he lost about a twelfth of the country, and he had a small little kingdom. And so we see here this progression of sacrificing where God said not to sacrifice. We see him multiplying silver, multiplying horses, multiplying chariots. Then we see Him multiplying wives. What The decisions, like why did God tell Him not to do these things? Why did God say, hey, don't marry a woman from this country? It wasn't just the amount of women. It was where they were from. They were from other countries. And God said, if you are bound to this woman from this country... Her heart is toward a different God than me. And if you will turn to her, then she will slowly enrapture your hearts, and you will begin to worship what she worships and love what she loves. You know, they say that success is a terrible teacher, right? Is this am I saying it right? Maybe. Success is a terrible teacher. Why? Because when you have success, you think that everything you're doing is just right. When we we fail, we come back to the drawing board and say, well, why did I lose? What do I need to do different next time? How do I need to change this situation or change my life? But oftentimes, God doesn't allow every consequence to come back and bite us right away. And so I believe that we need to be very cautious and very careful because some of us have grown calloused to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Lord wants a deeper walk with you, a deeper relationship with you than you currently have. And it's not that he's mad at you because you're multiplying horses, so to speak, but he knows what it's doing to you. And we say things like, I'm not addicted, I can quit whatever I want, no, it's no big deal. We say those things. You know, the 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 you know coming that first step they say is accepting it, like owning it, coming, acknowledging the truth. I believe the Lord today wants to do a surgery in our hearts. I believe the Lord wants to revive our hearts and rejuvenate our hearts. And I just I just, I want to encourage you here today, above everything else, look at your life. Think about, right now, the decisions that you've been making, the doors that you've been opening, the doors that we need to close. And so you guys want to stand up, want to take a moment to pray into this and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. All right. Well, I'm going to pray and I just want to encourage you to uh, pay attention to the voice. Lord God, we just come before you. And God, we ask that you would create in us a clean heart, that you'd renew a right spirit within each of us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak. and that you would confirm your word. What's coming into my head is, will you yield? Sometimes before God will speak to you, you have to yield before he even will speak. Sometimes the Lord says, will you obey no matter what? Because if you will yield first and completely surrender to me, then I will speak to you. But I don't want to give you a word that you're going to fail at. The Lord wants to set us up for success. So if your posture is, Lord, I yield, I surrender to you, whatever you want, then just tell him right now. Posture your heart. Make yourself a sacrifice of worship to the Lord. God will go wherever you want us to go. We'll do whatever you want us to do. We'll say whatever you want us to say. God, awaken that first love. Awaken our hearts. Lord, we just repent right now. If I could have the prayer team come to the front here. In just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. But you can get prayer. If you would like to give your life to Jesus, you can come up and get prayer. If you need prayer for anything going on in your life, these people will pray for you. But I'll, I'll pray a prayer dismissal and, and then you can go up for prayer. Lord, we just give ourselves to you and Lord, I pray that you would break off the dullness in our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I pray you bring conviction of sin and Lord, I pray for empowerment over every person under the sound of my voice. God, empower us yes. to turn this ship around. Yes. Empower us, Lord, to let go of, of, the, of the, the things that we've held on to in love and draw us closer to you. God, we yield to you completely. In Jesus' name, amen.